This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me on the other side this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio and Jeff Abercrombie back with me this week. Matt, how are you doing this evening? Oh, Paul. How am I doing every evening, my friend? I, I would say to you, honestly, like being back on the show, getting ready for this week, as we were kind of talking off air and on air last week into this week. I mean, just so much, so much uncertainty and so much craziness going on with the prospect pool that is going on in college. Like what players are really kind of climbing their stock, others not maybe reaching their potential. It's just crazy stuff. And then, of course, the NFL, it just seems like every other week we have rookies, guys who are young or still in their first or second year getting opportunities to play. And who's going to be the next guy? Donovan Peoples-Jones. Hold on to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah. I mean, like, when is it going to happen? We're all waiting for it, and we're starting to see it. So I, I think just like any other week in football, we don't really have a great feel. We just constantly are just riding the wave. Yeah, constantly adjusting, adapting, modifying, as we talked about last week. This is a long process, and I think this year, more than anything, we're realizing we could do a full evaluation on a player in July and August, and by the time draft season rolls around, it could be a very different thing. It's why we don't do a PDF file for our notebooks. It's why it's a Google document. It's a living, breathing thing because evaluation you know, throughout this season is, is going to change. It's going to be ebbs and flows, and we got to be able to react to it. Jeff, welcome back. We missed you the last couple of weeks. Good to have you here. Yeah, yeah kids are healthy. Internet's fixed. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, and yeah, to echo what Matt said, I've been um, in the background. I've been tinkering on with the, the draft notebook, uh, the rankings notebook with the NFL uh, dynasty rankings. And it is so hard to keep up with the ups and downs of the season. And I try not to overreact and, and only – you know, adjust the few names that are really demonstrating, you know, a, a, a legitimate up or down in, in the way that they've been playing on the field. But but that seems to be quite a bit of, of players right now. So it is definitely a topsy-turvy year. Yeah. And I mean, and going on that, and this is for, this is for any of our subscribers who have the notebooks, it's why you'll see not day-to-day or even week-to-week updates on the dynasty rankings because it's impractical to do it and we can't overreact to one week so much because we literally would we basically would have to throw out our rankings and just do a new one every single week if we're just going to go by what happens in that one week so you'll notice that Jeff and I might update it every couple of weeks right you know and then at least it's been a couple weeks of data to kind of you know gather and then make some decisions on it. So you'll kind of see that. I've been kind of taking that approach. Same thing with the Debbie rankings. Same thing with the draft eligible rankings. Not to overreact to one weekend on Saturday. Even though something big might have happened. You know, guys might have fallen. You know, Spencer, you know, the day after Spencer Rattler got benched. You know, I don't know if I changed it for a week or so. You know, just because I, I've been kind of holding off a little bit. Even though, yeah, I understood that he had to go down rankings you know, fairly quickly, you know, once he got benched in, in terms of the draft eligible rankings. So let's take this right into the NFL draft report. And we were talking a little bit before, you know, we went live here. And I do think this is a very unusual year because we were saying that there's not a lot of prospects who have seen their stock rise 
since the summer, since before the season started. Usually we have a handful of prospects that it's kind of like a building crescendo, right? Last year it was Zach Wilson. And before that, it was Joe Burrow. And these guys start building their stock and rising it up. A couple of years you know, ago, it was Josh Jacobs, right? He wasn't on anybody's preseason top five running back list. And then he was the first running back taken. This year, we've seen the quarterbacks nosedive. I think we've seen a lot of the running backs nosedive. Jalen Wademeyer at the tight end position really hasn't had the year. He's still probably the top tight end prospect in the country, but hasn't had that breakout year. No other tight ends have really emerged. Jahil Billingsley has had some glimpses, but who's to say he even comes out from Alabama? And even if he does, you know, how high is he going to go with the lack of production he has shown on a consistent basis? I still think it'll be an intriguing prospect. But besides the wide receiver position, which is kind of held firm, and held course, we really have seen all the other skill positions, quarterback on offense, quarterback, running back, and tight end, really see prospects devalued in this year so far. And if it doesn't change around, we're going to have, I think, arguably one of the weaker offensive skill position classes besides the wide receiver position. And maybe the wide receiver position will be good enough to carry it to be respectable, but it, it really is looking like it's going to be a very uneven year in terms of the offensive skill positions. So let's get right into it. And you guys can kind of chime in on that at any point too, you know, as we're talking about players and stuff like that. I want to start at the quarterback position because Jeff sent a message to our group the other day and said, am I imagining or did I see Matt Corral have 30 carries in a football game, but he did 30 carries, 195 yards. That was on the ground. Added 231 and two touchdowns passing as well. It's not even a debate anymore. Matt Corral is now in the conversation to be QB1 in this class. It's not it, – right now you can make the case he might be the betting favorite to be QB1 in this class. That's where we are right now because he keeps – he's the one guy that has had a crescendo this entire year at the quarterback position – on the downside, it sounds like there's crickets out there with Sam Howell. And every week I kind of look at the box score and see if I'm like, you know, is this the explosion week? Do I got to really grind into this film? And every week it's kind of like a ho-hum stat line. This week, again, 17 to 26, 154 yards. You know, not what we were expected from the guy who was thought to be the consensus first overall pick when this when this college football season started. You know, so it's not like Rattler, who's no longer even playing, but Howell's stock has came way down too. So Rattler and Howell, once thought to be one-two, I don't see, you know, Rattler probably not even declaring. And Howell, it's going to be interesting to kind of see where his trajectory falls. But I don't, I don't think he's in that top five mix right now unless there's a dramatic you know, change down the stretch to this college football season. And then they Matt brought up last week. I wanted to bring him up this week. Auburn hung in tough this week. Uh, couldn't pull away. Couldn't pull up the up off the upset. But Bo Nix played pretty solid. Twenty-one of twenty-six, two hundred ninety-two yards and two touchdowns. And Matt was talking last week that there's now this window wide open or this door wide open for somebody to maybe emerge based on traits. Bo Nix, we know, has some traits, right? It's always been inconsistency, decision-making. And, you know, Nix is a guy that a team might be intrigued with. I don't think he's going day one or anything like that. But we're going to see some guys maybe materialize and emerge based on traits to maybe be of interest in terms of, you know, day two or early day three. And Nix is a guy who we should at least acknowledge, as Matt mentioned last week. 
Jeff, let me bring it over to you because you haven't been on air with us since the Spencer Rattler meltdown. And now, you know, Matt Corral continues to kind of see his stock rise. Sam Howell continues his, his unevenness. Any thoughts on the quarterback position as a whole, collectively, if you want to talk about Corral or Howell, you can, or just in general at the quarterback position because it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, and I feel like a lot has changed in the quarterback landscape since you were on with us. I don't. I don't think I need to speak too too long on Spencer Rattler. Just you know, my notes on on him on his on how he played the position. I think held true. That doesn't always limit somebody, but in in this case, it it did, and he didn't get a chance to, or he isn't going to. Doesn't seem like he's going to get the chance to grow from it this year, and so we'll keep monitoring that. But um, I don't know. I don't think I'd put a bet on who the first quarterback is taken right now because it just seems so up in the air and up for grabs. I can't quite get on board Bo Nix the same way Matt can. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to acknowledge that he has uh, put a couple good games together. And so, you know, if if that's what jumps out on the tape is a major leap, then, then great. I'll, I'll definitely have to change my mind on that. But I did get a chance to listen to you guys. And uh, one thing Matt said, Jaden Daniels. Note Jaden Daniels. I, I think, you know, Matt might might put his number behind Bo Nix, but I would put my number behind Jaden Daniels there. Yeah, I mean, Jaden Daniels is a guy, when I watched him in the summer, you know, you can see the, the, the raw traits, right? You can see that special athleticism. You know, the way he moves is a special mover. Hit the ability to flick the wrist and throw it, you know, you know, 50, 60 yards down the field and throw a decent touch. For him, it was really about learning the quarterback position, going through progressions, the mental processing, the decision-making, the accuracy. That kind of had to come together. We're starting to see it. And as we were talking about, there's another name that, you know, people knew of him in the Debbie community, but he wasn't on any top fives. He wasn't on even any top tens before the season started. But this year has been so up and down that some new names might emerge here down the stretch. And again, maybe not top 10 or even round one, but there could be some intrigue in terms of day two guys, you know, that, you know, or some guys who kind of take their, their momentum that they have this year and maybe carry with them to next year, you know, if they're, if they're back, you know, you know, playing college football. So I think it's interesting, Matt, any, any thoughts on Corral, uh, Bo Nix, you know, anything else on Jaden Daniel or anything at the quarterback position? No, I, I, I think you guys pretty much summarized it. I think for the most part, you're talking about two players in Bo Nix, I think in Jaden Daniels that will intrigue teams. I think they're going to find their way into draft position. And and to your point, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think either of those guys is going in the first two rounds. But I think that one of those guys could sneak into the end of round two and go round three. Um, and I think that you're going to start seeing just like the the interest in a backup QB. That's going to be what they're looking for too. I mean, backup QBs cost a roster spot and they cost money. So if you could draft one, develop one, get one, why not? I mean, why not go that Davis Mills route, right? I mean, not that it's necessarily like working out tremendously, but you get my point. Like, why not? Why not? And I think those guys, if we've seen anything in the NFL, we've seen that right now, I think offensive coordinators are open to the next man up attitude and they're willing to ride the hot hand a little bit more. At least that's what it appears to be other than the stalwarts, right? Other than those top eight at their position, they're willing to, 
kind of look at the idea of riding the hot hand a little bit. You know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you heard me mention him earlier, Donovan People Jones. We'll see how it goes. I mean, can't get hotter than that right now in terms of what he's doing on the field. But they have yet to really commit to him. But we'll see. I, I mean, that's where I think these other names are interest and they're great to have on the end of your roster just to see what goes down. Yeah, and listen, I, I do think there there's just an opening for for some for some different names to to emerge here, and and that's what's really going to make this intriguing down the stretch here because you know what we knew or what we thought we knew in July and August is turning out to be very different right now than what we expected and I think you know at the quarterback position you mentioned Davis Mills listen I hated that pick I thought it was a terrible pick because I said why are you wasting a pick in the third round you know you're going to be picking in the top five next year you know you're going to probably draft the quarterback but you know what it's not a great quarterback class so what if they don't love Matt Corral what if they don't love Malik Willis what if they don't have the what if they win one or two more games and there's another team that's that's got a worse record right or a team that trades up because Jacksonville has the first pick or the Jets have the first pick you know and a team trades up or whatever and gets the guy they want well Davis Mills is kind of held you know, I know he had that one awful game. He's actually been a little bit better than I expected him to be considering those circumstances. And yeah, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. But what he's doing this year may lock him into being, at worst case, a backup for the next 10, 15 years, right? And and that has value in the NFL. So I didn't like the pick. I, I still thought it could have been used on a different player who could have maybe been a starter. But you know, at this point, I don't even know if they go back to Tyrod Taylor when he gets there. They might just want to see what Davis Mills has and, and let him ride out the year with him and and just say, okay, he, he could be a competent backup. He could be a spot starter even next year. If we don't get our guy we want, he might even have to start next year as we're trying to build up the rest of this roster. So guys like that, you know, I didn't think Davis Mills was a third-round pick last year during the college football season, and, he, and he, that's what he worked that's what he became. So who's to say there's not another guy, whether it's Bo Nix or Jaden Daniels or other guys that a team likes their traits. And we know, you know, Davis Mills was once upon a time, a big time high school recruit, right? That still matters a little bit. Sometimes those, those high school ratings sometimes kind of stay with them. Even if you don't live up to the potential in college, we know Bo Nix was a big time high school, you know, a big time college recruit coming out of high school. So there could be a team that gets intrigued with it, you know, late round three or, or early day three, possibly, or other names, right? So it's just something that I, I do think is is worth monitoring. If we take this over to the running back position, that's kind of another position. Matt and I were talking off air today. You know, not that long ago, we thought Kyron Williams was a top 50 pick. We thought Jerry Ely was a top 50 pick. We thought Samir White was a top 90 pick or top 100 pick. I'm not sure where Kyron Williams, where Jerry Neelier is going right now, but I'd be pretty confident to say they're not going top 50. And and I thought Eric Gray had a legitimate chance to materialize into a top 50 pick due to his dual versatility. Well, now he's basically being phased out of the offense at Oklahoma. And they're just riding Kennedy Brooks, who I think is a little bit of a see it and, and get it type of runner, but he's doing really well in that role. So they're going to ride that wave there. And so it's not just Jerry Neely. It's not just Kyron Williams. It's also Eric Gray. Those are three of my top five running backs when this, when this year started after the, the big two of, of Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. All of them have dramatically seen their stock decrease. And 
Spiller had a really good week this week, 20 carries, 168. But I don't think he's right now looked at as a, a, a locked-in first-round pick. I think right now he's probably considered a round-two guy. Brees Hall might be the one guy who can still get into round one, but we'll see. Uh, Zamir White has been okay. We've had a conversation on here that we might be more intrigued with James Cook, to be honest with you, in terms of his NFL role. This week, you just see it. Zamir White, 12 carries, 46 yards. James Cook, 6 carries, 51 yards. Just more explosion, different, completely different type of player. But but Cook is a guy who intrigues us. Uh, while Sam Howell has struggled for UNC, one transfer that has worked out so far is Ty Chandler. Leaving Tennessee, we know that offense was in shambles. He rushed for 104 yards and two touchdowns. He's had a very good year. But as we were discussing right before we went off, the biggest performer riser at the running back position has been Kennedy Brooks. He's held off Eric Gray. He's pushed Eric Gray to the back, the background, and he continues to churn out 100 yards and touchdowns every single week. This past week, 153 yards and one touchdown. I still have my reservations on Kennedy Brooks. I think he's still more of a date Bree type player. I wasn't a big Zach Moss fan. I, I think I don't think. Kennedy Brooks is even as good as Zach Moss. So I thought Zach Moss was a late round three. He ended up going there. I think Kennedy Brooks is still a day three player, but maybe he's changing other people's minds this year with the way he's playing. So Jeff, let me bring you in. Any thoughts on the running backs, either I said, or just kind of, again, big picture, holistic view of this running back class, not really living up the expectation so far. The same thing. It's, it's a vacuum. I mean, I think we can be pretty confident with Isaiah Spiller and Brees Hall being, in my mind, round two picks. But after that, come and get it, right? And um, I'm hearing some buzz about around Kenneth Walker. I don't know that we've talked to him about him too much on the show. I don't know if you guys have anything on him this week or maybe some note for the future for us to touch on him. Um, you, the production for Kennedy Brooks is there. Um, Brian Robinson, I like Brian Robinson too, but I, I think, um, for Kennedy Brooks, a little bit like Trey Sermon-esque, you know, you just kind of, there's elements of his game that are, are nice nuance, but he's not jumping off the page in the way that generally, you know, extremely athletic and shifty open field backs would maybe it's a little bit more you you kind of said the upper bound maybe a Zach Moss type maybe the lower bound in my mind though is is probably more of a Ramondre Stevenson type so I I think if he keeps this up he's probably around for a pick yeah and I think and and listen that would be really good he he could have a big role in the NFL as a round four pick right I mean you know we're seeing how many dual backfields there are and and running backs get an opportunity I mean look what Khalil Herbert did this week you know you know he's a guy that I really liked last year he went further in the draft than than I expected and other people expected and he got an opportunity so guys get opportunities based on injuries and other factors Matt any thoughts about the running back position in general yeah, I, I would still keep. I would still urge people to keep tabs on two players. Um, one I mentioned last week. The other uh, I I should have mentioned, but I didn't. Um, I would urge people to keep an eye on Jerome Ford and what he could do and where his stock could go. I mean, you know, n- talk about putting up numbers. You want to talk about a riser in terms of production. Um, also, when you look at the competition, I understand there's a little bit of a a pushback, but 
again, there's some some notable opponents, but this past week he put up 20 attempts at 20 rushing attempts for 189 yards and four touchdowns. Um, that's pretty good. Running for four touchdowns and almost 200 yards. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll give him that. And then another guy that I'm going to give you guys, and I, I think we've he's a guy that you talk about pedigree and you talk about you know guys that have had historically the kind of bullseye or you know heir apparent attached to their name. I would urge people to keep tabs again on Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Keep watching him because both Jerome Ford and Zach Charbonnet to me, um, even going back to Zach Charbonnet and Jerome Ford back in high school, which is really when I watched them first, these guys were very much one cut runners in terms of their ability down the field when it came to outside runs. But between the tackles, they both had a little bit of wiggle. Now Ford for, for, in all intents and purposes, played almost every position on his football field in high school. So talk about a multi-talented back. This guy played almost every position. But when you watched him run, he was very much in a Tevin Coleman type of style. You know, not the same speed, not the same linear speed, but we're talking more about that one cut and go. And he was going to try to beat you to the angle. And if he had a little wiggle in him, he'd try to make you miss. But for the most part, he was a guy that was going to try to out-athlete you and just kind of lose you in the background, but he's a big dude too. He's not a small guy. Zach Charbonnet, on the other hand, I thought was a very nice kind of thoughtful runner in between the tackles. I thought he had a lot more ability to set up blocks and create kind of opportunities for himself as a runner between the tackles. This was in high school. Now it didn't really materialize in Michigan. It didn't materialize at all, but now at UCLA, I mean, it sounds like he's kind of finding the fountain of youth so to speak, in terms of his ability to kind of call upon his gifts and get what he kind of is looking for. I mean, just to give you an idea, like this past weekend, you know, he they played against Washington. He had 21 carries for 131 yards. I mean, you know, the guy's averaging over 10 yards or six yards, excuse me, over six yards per carry, roughly. Um, had a couple of 100-yard games, 300-yard games already. So, it's just something to it's just something to consider. I think those two guys are two guys I would really put on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I think those guys have now put their put themselves in the mix to be day three guys, and I think we're going to see a lot. I think we're going to see the. I think I don't think it's inconceivable that we see the fewest amount of running backs go in the top one hundred that we've seen in quite some time. I truly believe it could be going that way because I don't know if this, I don't know if people are going to see much difference in the running backs after the top two guys, right? Like are people going to want to invest a top 50 pick or top 75 pick on guys like Kyron Williams and Jerry Neely right now? I'm not sure. I'm I'm really not sure. Unless things change, I think people are going to say we can get someone pretty comparable and and those guys might just end up falling anyway. So it's going to be interesting to follow that. If we take this over to the wide receiver position, that is, like I said, that has been, been the one position that I think is still holding firm in terms of what we thought. Uh, one guy we haven't talked about, and that's a bad job by me in terms of we've talked about a lot of wide receivers, a lot of the top wide receivers, but somehow we have not, since the season started, talked about Traylon Burks, who is in my top five, is in most people's top fives. And if you, this past week, 109 yards, two touchdowns, I mean, all you got to do is look at his box score, his game log, and, and he's doing that regularly for Arkansas. And you watch this guy play, you can't watch him play 
and not think of what A.J. Brown was at Ole Miss or what Juju Smith was at USC. This is a guy that right now lives inside as a big slot. Do I know? Do I think he can do more? I do. I do think he has more versatility to be an outside guy. But right now, that's his go-to role at Arkansas. He's, he's tough. He's physical. Great play strength. Great after the catch with his physicality and toughness. And he's going to be a guy that, you know, is going to be a guy that I think NFL teams are really intrigued with. Now, he's not going to be that home run guy. That's not who he is, you know. But but if he's a guy that I think NFL teams are really going to like and he just easily – you can see A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. You can see Juju Smith, like I said, from USC. So he's a guy that has lived up to his preseason or before the season uh, pedigree. He is not, you know – lost any momentum i think he's held tight and held firm there uh on twitter today we were talking about Kadarius tony a little bit and the question came up is you know why didn't he break out earlier at florida and my pushback was is was i i don't want to hear that he wasn't productive in college i mean he had a thousand yards almost last year and 10 touchdowns in the toughest conference in America. And he absolutely torched Alabama when Nick Saban's whole plan was to stop him. So yes, he didn't produce earlier in his, his collegiate career, but I think that's where analytics without context has absolutely minimal to zero merit because Kadarius Tony wasn't used as a wide receiver early in college. I mean, he was a wildcat quarterback his first year. He didn't know the position. They didn't know what position to make him. So I don't think, I feel like in the analytics community, they're like, well, why didn't he get on the field sooner? And like, it's held against these players that they didn't move up the depth chart. There's a lot of factors that go into that. Maybe the coach doesn't know how to use it. Maybe they're just not ready because they're still learning the position because they didn't play wide receiver in high school. There's so many layers and so many factors. And I bring this up because two guys that I think stock are rising tremendously are in the exact same position as Kadarius Tony, And that's Aeneas Smith at Texas A&M. And it's Wendell Robinson, formerly of Nebraska, now of Kentucky. They came to their college teams. They didn't know what they were, offensive weapons. They used them as gadget players, a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. So they don't they didn't break out as freshmen or as sophomores or whatever. And they don't have great market share and all that stuff. But now this year, they have they have created they've became true wide receivers. They could still be used on other manufactured touches, and they're both balling out this year. Ania Smith is the best mover in this class. He's going to remind people of Kadarius Tony. I think he's the best after the catch. I think he's the best mover in space. And Wendell Robinson is no, you know, no slouch himself, an explosive player. I think those are two guys that are going to see their stock really rise. I can see Ania Smith going the whole trajectory of Kadarius Tony right into round one. I truly believe that 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 could happen. And there's going to be a lot of pushback from the analytics community because these guys didn't take over their their depth chart when they were younger. 
I don't I don't think that's on them, especially guys who who came in listed as offensive weapon or athlete or whatever they're listed in their their high school recruiting rankings. So those are two guys that I think, you know, this week in the Smith, two more touchdowns when the Robinson had one touchdown, a lot of small stuff, 12 catches for 40 yards. They didn't do much in that game this week, Kentucky. But I think those are two guys that are seeing their stock rise. And then a kind of a blast from the past. And I wanted to bring him up because I remember, Matt, we talked about I feel like we talked about him years ago. Jadon Hasselwood. Three touchdowns this week. Formerly, we thought he was once upon a time going to be a big, big time player. Uh, kind of brings us back to, again, maybe he could have a little bit of a late resurgence here because he was a guy very highly touted when he came in uh, to college football as well, coming out of high school. Never has really lived up to it, about some injuries and consistencies, but nice performance from him this week as well. Jeff, let me bring it over to you because you were chiming in on, on Twitter with me as well today. Thoughts about Smith, Robinson, Traylon Burks, the idea of are we is it unfair to hold it against these guys because they can't move up the depth chart? Is that on them or is that poor coaching, understanding of what the player is and, and stuff like that? Traylon Burks is good at football. <laughs> and uh yeah, it, that we should be talking about him a little bit more. Um and I'm pretty sure we will be, so I might save a little bit of a future episode for a dig in on him, but for Smith and uh, Wandale Robinson and the whole Kadarius Tony and analytics conversation. I mean, ana- analytics is, is an odds based process. You know, when you play fantasy football, if this is what we're translating it over to, I know, you know, when we look at it from an NFL perspective, you know, you just want to see these players, you know, adding a dynamic element to the office uh, offenses. But, you know, I think that conversation was a fantasy lens one. And um, when you play fantasy, you, you try to predict what's most likely to happen. Right. But, you know, my response to that is if all you're doing is looking at spreadsheets, you're, you're, intentionally leaving a blind spot. You don't understand the why you don't understand the how you don't understand, you know, what these players are good at, how they fit, how they win, what they can bring. And you're putting a blind spot to somebody who could be extremely dynamic. If just given the role, like I don't think Kadarius Tony is a great wide receiver, but he's a really good football player. Like you get the ball in his hands, and he's going to make things happen, right? Like I'm not going to put him on par with the Justin Jefferson, but but that doesn't matter in in a lot of cases, right? Like it's like Debo Samuel. I don't think he's the best wide receiver on the 49ers offense. Brandon Ayuk might take that crown. But that doesn't matter right now because what you can do with his special traits is move the football down the field, score points on offense, be a safety outlet for your quarterback, add a horizontal dimension to your offense or to your offense that stretches the defense sideline to sideline. Like these guys can provide that. And if all you're looking are at numbers on a spreadsheet, you'll miss all of it. And yeah, 
you know, maybe an odds perspective is they might not be the biggest hits. But Kadarius Tony was a first round pick because offensive coaches saw a player who had a dynamic skill set who could break ankles and create separation. And and they took him in the first round because they wanted to use him. Like, you know, if, if all you're going to do is let the numbers drive you, it, I think you need a full, better, fuller picture. Yeah, and I just think, I just think sometimes, listen, we all missed. I, I don't want to sit here and say the film people don't miss. We missed tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of misses. So, but I, but I, I do like to think that when I miss on a player, I try to rethink my process, right? I try to see why I missed on that player and see if there was something that maybe I should have realized, right? And and try to adapt my process a little bit where I think in the analytics community, a guy like Josh Allen and now a guy like Kadarius Tony are just going to be checked off as outliers and it doesn't change the process at all, right? They're not going to change the process and say, oh, we should have looked at Kadarius Tony differently because, he wasn't even a wide receiver coming out of high school. He wasn't used as a wide receiver, a regular wide receiver those first couple of years. How can we ding him for not doing this, you know, not breaking out sooner, not doing this, why why he couldn't move up the depth chart and stuff like that? Maybe he just didn't know how to run routes yet, right? He was still learning the position. Or maybe they just didn't understand what they had yet in the player. Coaches make mistakes all the time. You know, they – Teams sometimes have really poor schemes in terms of knowing how to get the best out of a player. So, like, I just feel like it's very easy to say, oh, it's an outlier, and then just kind of go back to the exact same process and not adapt it and modify and adjust. And I think, you know, I know from the film perspective, I do try to to modify and change things. And, you know, I know here, even on Saturday Sunday, right, we've tried to look at a much more bigger picture, solving problems on the football field, really focusing on NFL problems, right? If a guy's just throwing, you know, five to 10 yard passes and has an 80 completion percentage because it's a wide open, you know, air raid scheme or something. Well, that's not really, that's not what he's going to be asked to do with the NFL, right? He's, we need to see him solve NFL problems. So I, I just think there needs to be more context put into it. Matt, any thoughts on either Traylon Burks, Aeneas Smith, Wendell Robinson, any, anything Hasselwood? Yeah, no, I, I think you guys kind of covered it all, but I'll, I'll give you one more blast from the past too. Talking about blast from the past. Uh, Justin Shorter, we had a Justin Shorter sighting in Florida, right? He had over 100 yards receiving, and it was against LSU, so it wasn't against a team that just gives up yards. So it, it's just another player who is just kind of showing or coming back potentially. So just somebody to keep on your radar as we go forward. Um, but, no, I, I, I think that the, the biggest thing that I, I go back to is is that, you know, the the, fir- the the sooner we can get away from, you know, using a positional lens as a limiting factor for our own understanding of the game, I think that the better we're going to be in terms of analyzing positions. Because I do think, I do think, yes, they were all drafted to play a position. By not playing a position, then you're basically saying that we shouldn't care about that. And yeah, honestly, to be honest with you, I think the, I think we've been moving towards it for the last five years, and I think we're getting there. And I think finally we're starting to hear it, even the people above us, right? The people that are network personalities and so on and so forth, talking about positionless football. And listen, I don't think it's this radical new idea. I think there's been a long, well thought out, 
process of trying to pursue this in the game of, of football, but I don't think that we've been doing it at the highest levels. I think it's been a lot of high school coaches who have been doing this. I can tell you right now, high school coaches have been doing this for years with players that you may not be a defensive end, but gosh darn it, man, you have a nose for the ball. So <laughs> you may be built like a linebacker, but we're going to put you at defensive end because you've got a nose for the ball. You know how to shed blocks well. So we think that you're going to be an asset in that area. And you know what? If we need you to bounce into linebacker, we'll put you there. And you know what? Maybe on short yardage situation, we'll just stick you at safety. Since you got such a great idea of how to fill lanes and fill the alley, we're just going to put you there. Positionless football, to me, is where we're kind of beginning to gravitate. And don't get me wrong, Miles Garrett is not playing quarterback. <laughs> I think there's a there's a limiting there's a re, you know there's a reasonable kind of you know uh, extent to which this discussion goes. But I think that we sum it up here all the time, Paul. Same thing that Jeff and I we talk all the time about. It's problem solving, man. Stop making it more than it is. It doesn't have to be this crazy thing. And I think the analytics community do a great job in trying to find connections. But I think without, as Jeff put it, without looking at the total picture, we sometimes lose out. And you put it this way, same well as Paul. We sometimes miss out on the players who are obviously showing the capacities to solve problems at a high level, but opportunity has been limited for a number of reasons. And now that they have the opportunity, now they're starting to get the, the chance to show it. Again, Donovan, Donovan People-Jones. Donovan <laughs> People-Jones. Right? What did he do at Michigan? Nothing. What did he do in high school? He was the number one player in the country. Yeah. I mean, that's and, a perfect that's the perfect example of, you know, he's here's a player who was put in an offense and was surrounded by poor quarterback play, poor offensive scheme. You know, I'm I'm not sitting here saying it was all on the surrounding cast, but if he And nor are we saying he's a pro bowler right now. No, but 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 coaching and scheme and, and stuff matter. And that's why it can't be just off a spreadsheet. It's got to be a traits. If you watched Donovan Peoples Jones, you soared that there were traits there, right? You saw it, and we understood there was other factors that that caused him to drop a little bit in the draft. There's a deep wide receiver class, et cetera, et cetera. But you you got to kind of you can miss out on things if you just are looking at certain things off of a spreadsheet. So let's take this quickly to the Debbie Slant report for this week. Don't have a lot here. Uh, Matt, I'll throw it right back to you. At this point now, I mean, we're six, seven weeks into the college football season, and things aren't getting any better for Clemson and the offense. So I, I think the question needs to be asked now. I mean, DJ Ulangalele was thought to be maybe the number one quarterback in all of college football. That like if you could pick anybody and put them on your, you know, your fantasy team moving forward and your NFL franchise, you know, at some point he was the guy. And I understand we had the adjust and we, brought, we, we talked about putting Bryce Young ahead of him weeks ago. But at this point now, it, 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 this seems like it's more than just the Clemson offense is broke. I think some of it now has got to fall on him. Do you have a do you have an idea of like maybe which direct is it is it both right down the middle? I mean, we haven't seen Clemson struggle like this in, in quite some time. Like they look like a Florida State type offense. Like they can't score points. They barely get in, they can't even get to the twenties on 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 many games now. So I wanted to mention him. And then, you know, since he's taken over for Spencer Rattler, all Caleb Williams has done as produced monster numbers this past week, 
five touchdowns, very efficient game, 18 of 23, almost 300 yards, 66 yards on the ground. Uh, is Caleb Williams now a guy? And this is a guy, this is something I got to update in the Debbie rankings. Is Caleb Williams now a guy who's got a skyrocket and catapult into that top five mix, top seven mix of Debbie quarterbacks? So let's take this in two pieces. So I think DJ Ungale is definitely somebody you have to be concerned about. Um, but we've talked about trying to be concerned in the sense that we're keeping our eye on him. I still probably wouldn't listen. You won't get anything for him. So I think trying to move him is just an absolute, you know, exercise in futility. But I do think that you hold on to him just to see what happens with Clemson as they try to figure this out. Because Paul, as you already kind of alluded to, I, I think it's more systematic than it is one player, one coach, one one element. Because I was sitting there going like, you know, I would never watch Clemson versus Syracuse. I'd be like, that's just ridiculous. Like, this is going to be an absolute, you know, hose job. These things are I watched it and it was like, you know, Syracuse might have a chance here. <laughs> like, and and that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So the fact that I'm I'm thinking that means there's things on offense, defense in totality that need to be addressed. I don't see Sweeney moving on from Ungale, uh too early. Um, I still think they're going to keep riding it out with him. I still think he's going to still be the quarterback for a little bit. Um, I, I, that's my personal feeling. Caleb Williams. So if you get a chance to watch Caleb Williams on film, the one thing that jumps out to you, at least from his high school film, silly. Silly Lamar Jackson type of runner. Like, unbelievable with the ball in his hands. And we got glimpses of that already in college. He is unbelievable with the ball in his hands. Carrying the football, evading runners, running. Now, Lamar, I think we can all say Lamar is like that Michael Vick silly level, right? I don't think Caleb is there. But I do think Caleb is better with the ball in his hands running than anything you saw from Trevor Lawrence, anything you would see from Patrick Mahomes, anything you would see from uh, from Justin Fields, he's that type of runner. And I think that alone is impressive because then on top of that, he can throw and he can pass. And he's not just a deep ball specialist or short yard specialist. He can play the game like a shortstop. And because of that, he can throw from various arm slots. He can make throws on the run. He has the capacity to be accurate while being able to evade rushers, right? So he can adapt and he can adapt to the situation and solve problems with, a, you know, a toolbox that not many quarterbacks have. Now, does that mean that, you know, teams aren't going to try to figure him out and try to constrain him? Oh, I think they're going to figure him out. But I think on film, I thought he was better than Spencer Rattler out of high school. So if it's any consolation, I was ecstatic to get him in a draft at a Debbie league. I was in like the third or fourth round of a Debbie deep Debbie league. And he was still there. And I was like, I'll take him. And I was happy to get him. And now, I mean, now I look like a genius right now. Tomorrow I'll look like an idiot, right? That's just how it always goes with, with Debbie rankings. But for right now, I'm I'm happy to get a dynamic player at the position because that's where the league's going. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like square peg round hole, not a not at all. This is the player the league wants is this style of player. That's who they want now. They're building their offenses around it. 
They want Kyler Murray. They embrace that idea. They now want those players like Mahomes and Lamar. That's who they need. Caleb Williams fits those molds. He yeah. reminds me more of Kyler Murray. Yeah, and I think you can now make the case that, you know, if you, if you say, okay, Corral and Willis are going to be the top two guys in this quarterback class, I think you now make the case that if you're, if you're kind of stretching this out a little bit and say, oh, who's in consideration for top four, top five in terms of the Debbie landscape, if we're still including guys like Corral and Willis because they're still in college football, I think you go right to Alabama with Bryce Young and you go right to Oklahoma now with Caleb Williams. I think that's what you got to look at. I think CJ, CJ Stroud is kind of on the peripheral, you know, waiting to be heard from. He's had his ups and downs, but he's still very talented and he's got to be in that conversation a little bit as well. But I think that's what we're kind of looking at right now in terms of the best overall Quarterback prospects, if we're talking Debbie, in, in terms of upside that you'd want to have on your team right now. So I, I think it's interesting. Again, Williams is a guy who, when I update my Debbie rankings, you'll see him skyrocket right to near the top of the quarterback rankings. Let's take this right over to the NFL rookie report. Not a lot that really changed this week. So uh, Trevor Lawrence got his first win in London with the with the Jaguars, 319 yards, one touchdown. You, a lot of inconsistency, but you see those moments of why we love Trevor Lawrence, why we think he's such a highly he was such a highly touted prospect, and we think he's going to be a big time player. You're starting to see more glimpses of it, but still uh, some inconsistency. Uh, Justin Fields finally did some stuff with his legs. Most of it was not scripted it was just him play breaking down and him and him uh making the most of it and they were also playing a little bit comeback there against green bay uh but we saw him do a little bit more with his legs there should be a lot more of, of that moving forward uh mac jones almost led new england to an upset you could see the one thing we've talked about it right mac jones right now has played the best of any of the quarterbacks but you could also see just how different the plan is for him compared to say Trevor Lawrence or even Zach Wilson, you know, Belichick and McDaniels have a very clear plan of what they want to do with him and what they want to put on his plate. And I don't know if that's because they think that's all he can handle right now. If they don't, if they just think there's physical limitations and that's just the kind of player he's got to be, but you can see he's further developed than most of the other rookies right now in terms of the mental side of it. But in terms of how much you're putting on his plate, they're still limiting. And I don't know if that's just because they, they think they have to baby him a little bit, even though he is uh, further along in terms of understanding, or they just think there's some physical limitations there that this is just the kind of, not saying he's not going to get better because I'm sure he will get a lot better, but there are just limitations of what maybe you could ask him to do based on his physical skill set. So I think that's interesting to kind of see, does it change the second half of the year? Do they open things up more? Uh, do we see a different, you know, game called by New England? Uh, the wider, at the running back position, Najee Harris continues to be that dual threat. We knew he would be. He is living up to everything we thought in terms of being basically their new version of Le'Veon Bell. Catching the ball, heavy workload, obviously playing behind a bad offensive line. An aging quarterback is, is not hurting, but volume is king in fantasy football. Najee Harris is getting it. Javante Williams is like, it's the same stat line every week. Every, every week, I watch some Denver games. I write down, the, uh, I watch some highlights. I watch the game when, it, when it's on. I write down the box score. And every week, it's the same thing. Nine carries, 10 carries, 11 carries, somewhere between 40 and 57 yards. It's like rinse and repeat every single week. And until Melvin Gordon's gone, I think people are going to be disappointed. And I'm sure by next year, 
it'll be Javante Williams leading that backfield, but he hasn't earned more yet. Melvin Gordon is not a washed up player. This isn't, you know, Todd Gurley. Gordon is still a functional player. So Javante Williams is kind of just hold and serve, but I guess compared to, you know, Trey Sermon, not really involved right now. Travis Heathian injured, you know, most of Javante Williams owners probably are content with that. And then the wide receiver position, and this is probably where we'll spend most of our focus again, as, as we usually do. We mentioned Kadarius Tony before one drive, three catches, 36 yards. And the thing that stands out about Kadarius Tony right now is just like last year. And again, I know Brandon Ayuk is really having a weird, that's the best way to describe second season, but Everyone thought Brandon Ayuk was one type of player going into his NFL career last year. And then he quickly showed that he could do a lot more, right? Last year. And he basically became their like true alpha X wide receiver. And he was running all different routes. He was playing inside. He was playing outside. He wasn't just a yak guy, which I think a lot of people pigeonholed him last year when he came out. And I think people pigeonholed Kadarius Tony and I thought it was going to take him a lot longer to become a better route runner. And I still think there's a lot of refinement to do. But his movement and his moves are leaving NFL defensive backs not even near him at times. And he's running routes on the outside. He's running them on the inside. And you watch him play and you just look like he is going to create mismatches and and create problems for defenses. And he hasn't even fully refined his route running yet or it's going to keep getting better and developing even more and they can't stay with him right now and this is a very unimaginative offense but a very poor offense a very poor offensive line and he still is doing this and again very small sample size I understand that but he he's doing way more than I think anybody even people who liked him and were vouching for him He's doing way more than I think anybody expected. And I think that's, I think it's a legitimate question right now. I would love, I would absolutely love to get an honest to God answer from the Philadelphia Eagles and the Miami Dolphins that if the NFL draft was redone today, after what we've seen from these players, if they still would prefer the Alabama guys over Kadarius Tony, I think it's a legitimate question. I don't know the answer. I do think Kadarius Tony would be right in the mix with them in terms of the top 10. And I don't think it's inconceivable to think that if they've seen him play, they might think that he his upside is now higher because he's showing even above and beyond of what we thought. And the other thing I want to make note of, it was great to see Rashad Bateman finally out there. Four catches, 29 yards. We've been talking about you know checking with his owner, make sure they weren't getting annoyed that he wasn't there. And here's the thing. Don't look now. The Baltimore Ravens can pass the ball and throw for 350 yards a game and throw for 300 yards and throw for 275. And Lamar Jackson, you know, is morphing into a guy who can put up those passing stats in addition to the running stats, which that changes now the whole narrative, right? We're seeing Marquise Brown emerge into a superstar. Now, the original narrative on Rashad Bateman draft weekend and in the months after the draft, that now starts to change because why can't they have three really productive fantasy receivers in terms of Brown, Bateman, and Andrews? There might be enough to go around there now. So any worries about Bateman and that offense? I think Lamar Jackson has showed this year 
Now, maybe it's because they don't have a run game, and if that materializes next year, they'll, they'll go back to it. But Or maybe the, the, the training wheels are now off on Lamar, right? And maybe now they're realizing he could have this be this explosive passer. Even he's never going to be the most accurate. He doesn't need to be. Uh, but I think now the, the outlook moving forward on Bateman now has been risen. The ceiling is now higher based on what we've seen from Marquise Brown, based on what we've seen from, from Mark Andrews. Uh, so I'm excited about Bateman. And then the other name I, I want to bring up, and that's Amon Ross St. Brown, and only because we talked a lot before the year started about, like, we liked him, but he fell around four. That matters. And we really thought there was this opening there, and there is, but he's not seizing control of it. And as a fourth-round pick, and again, it's not just his fault. Gary Goff's not a good quarterback. They don't have a very good offensive scheme. But this is his year. If we're if Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be a fantasy asset moving forward, he has to seize that opportunity right now because if not, he's going to get lost in the shuffle because he doesn't have that draft capital, and it does matter. And he's just going to – if he doesn't seize control and is looked at as a clear-cut starter moving forward, he's just going to kind of get pushed to the back burner a little bit there uh, when they eventually do do other upgrades. So, Jeff, let me bring it over to you first. If, if you have any thoughts on the quarterbacks, you can share them. Uh, but really, I think the wide receiver position is of, of high intrigue, whether it's Bateman, whether it's some more Tony talk, whether I know you've been someone who has uh, liked the Monroe St. Brown, whether it's him or anywhere you want to go with these rookies. I'll start with the quarterbacks because that's really the, the story of the season. And um, maybe just to sum it up for all of them, but, you know, especially Trevor, especially Fields, they're getting better, right? They're progressing. Everybody panicked in a week or two of the first starts. Like, I mean, quarterback is hard. <laughs> and these guys, like, you you see more and more getting on Justin Fields' plate. You see the laser, you know, the better play caller in Chicago, you know, scripted an amazing uh, first drive uh, that he looked really good. Uh, it was the play-action bootleg to Cole Komet, followed by a – you know, just on the money throw to Mooney on the sidelines, followed by hanging in the pocket, kind of collapsing around him, some pressure to throw a whole shot to Allen Robinson down the sideline. Like he's getting the hang of it. You know, you're going to see these guys. You're going to see Fields. You're going to see Lawrence. You're going to see Lance maybe soon. Um, take these steps and, and get a little bit more under their belt, get the speed of the game, take on a little bit more and, Factor in more with you, – you'll get to see why they were high draft picks later on down this season. You know, just be patient with them because you can you – can, the stats may or may not say it, but you can watch and you can see them getting more comfortable. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is getting really good now. Um, he's, he made some phenomenal plays uh, in his game uh, in London. Before I get to the wide receivers, I did want to touch on uh, two running backs. One, Khalil Herbert. Um, he had a great game. He had a phenomenal game. 1997-1. and one, he, he was forced into the role when, you know, Montgomery's sitting on injury and Damian Williams, you know, got COVID. So he's, he's the guy now. Herbert is the guy. I don't Similar how we said you can't put Kadarius Tony back in a bottle, you know, the genie's out. 
Herbert has earned playing time. I, I don't know how you sideline David Montgomery, but you got to get Herbert in the game because he's got juice. He looks really good. He looks like a intuitive, smart running back with with a little extra. You know, it's, he's not just a smart running back, but he's he's going to break chunk plays. I I think he's going to pass Damian Williams on the depth chart, and I, I think there's a very outside chance that maybe maybe Montgomery isn't you know signed long term or an extension. And if that's the case, I don't think they'll have to because Herbert is good enough to take on that role. So I just I wanted to give some praise his way because he had a he had a really good game. If if you watched it, um, you, you're looking at a, he's buried down the depth chart, but you're looking at a really good player there. And another one. You know, he, he was in the doghouse. He's he's coming out of the doghouse for Andre Stevenson. You know, you're, everybody's looking at their waiver wires and by week hell. And Ramondre Stevenson had, you know, three catches. He had, you know, 60 yards. He had a touchdown. He's he's going to play a factor in that backfield. Um, and he played well. And he, he crushed the preseason. You know, he fumbled. He was not seen from again and 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 he's come back a few weeks later and they they said they want to get him going they want to get him moving they want to get him rolling so you know these are two guys that are are starting to play a factor for their teams so i want to give a little highlight to because we talk about the, the the big names and these these rookies have done really well jeff let me jump in before you go to wide receivers for a second yeah i mean i Listen, I think talent alone, and that doesn't make or break everything, right? There's other scenarios, there's draft stock, but I think you can make the case that pure talent alone, Khalil Herbert's got more talent and upside than David Montgomery. Like, he's got more juice, he's got more bursts, you know, so um, obviously a lot more goes into it, right? The vision, the patience, I get it. But there are some traits of Khalil Herbert that that are far superior than David Montgomery. And he was a guy that... I liked last year. I thought he was going to be more of a round four pick. He fell even a little bit further than that. Uh, but I was intrigued by that landing spot because I think Montgomery is a guy that can be pushed. I think Montgomery, I'm not going to say he's just a jag, but I, I also don't think he is a difference maker at the running back position. I think he's a guy that is his, his production has been a lot merited by volume. And he put up good numbers, especially down the stretch last year. But I, I do think he can be pushed. And whether it's, you know, part of a committee or I don't know if someone's going to overtake him, it's going to be hard for a guy who went as far down in the draft as, as Cole Herbert did. But I, I do think he can be pushed there a little bit. And if Damian Harris doesn't stop putting the ball on the ground, Ramondre Stevenson is going to see more and more work there as well. So didn't want to, I, I started to cut you off, but I, yeah. I, I wanted to get those thoughts about the running backs in before you went to the wide receivers. Well, I do want to touch like, you know, David Montgomery as a college prospect, you know, I'm with you there, but David Montgomery as an NFL player has grown pretty phenomenally. Uh, his, his week one game against the Rams has shown a pretty big leap in who he is as a player, but I'm with you. Like I said, you know, it's the running back position. You may not have to pay him big money when you have someone like Khalil Herbert to hand the ball, like to just move on to, to go on, off to the wide receivers. I mean, I don't know if Miami would trade for Kadarius Tony because they just keep feeding Jalen Waddle. <laughs> He's just an integral part of that offense. 
Um, and he looked really good. Slants for the touchdowns. Him and Tua had a little thing go in there. But just a, a little, um, you know, happy emotion for, for seeing Rashad Bateman get, on the, get out on the field and slide right into a role on that offense. I mean, they didn't have to throw the ball a ton, but he got six targets. They looked his way. Um, I think I think he's he's going to build his way in as a factor, um, and and I think the hate for Rashad Bateman he was everyone really loved him coming in as as a as a pre draft prospect right he, you know he's kind of sitting in people's top tiers and his name gets called when Baltimore's on the clock and everybody just goes ah. there goes my favorite player. It's just like, like, like people can't grow. Like Lamar isn't like progressing as a passer. Right. And, and yeah, look at this. He's, he's throwing the ball 48 times and has the highest completion percentage of any quarterback throwing the ball that much in any game. And it kind of reminds me of when AJ Brown went to the Titans, when Tyrod Taylor was, was the quarterback there before they went off to, uh, or no, that was Mariota. Marcus Mariota was the quarterback there. And, and then they went to Tannehill. And A.J. Brown is a very good football player who can elevate people around him, including his quarterback, snagging balls through traffic, making people miss after the catch. Like, you know, I'm not saying they're the same player, but I think Rashad Bateman is is that kind of value. And while he was integral into the offense, he didn't explode last week. His, his stat line wasn't some earth shattering Jamar chase impact, but that just means you've got another week to go buy him because, you know, he's, he's going to be that level value for your teams. And, um, and he's going to be that much of a, that much of an impact player in the passing game for the Ravens. He's going to be a critical go-to piece. We over people, us people in general, fans community overreact so quickly to the immediate landing spots on draft weekend. And we make assumptions and we make conclusions very quickly. And more times than not, the truth of the matter is we don't know anything in terms of what's going to happen. Trying to predict is almost impossible. And I think sometimes a good player is a good player and more times than not the cream rises to the top, regardless of their situation. Right. You know, and Bateman and, and Tony are just two examples right now where they were put into situations that people had a lot of question marks. And I think now or soon, whether, you know, I think Bateman, you'll see his role continue to grow, but I think even now people probably feel a lot different about Bateman just because of what we've seen the Baltimore pass offense be able to do. And all of a sudden, people probably don't really care that the Giants aren't a very creative mind offense because it might not even matter if Kadarius Tony is as special as, as he's shown in, in glimpses already. Matt, any thoughts on any of these rookies? Anybody that you kind of want to acknowledge before we take it over to the last segment? No, I mean, I think the big guys have hit, right? So I think the, the guys that you're looking for to hit have hit. Obviously, Rashad Bateman is probably still that window, as Jeff pointed out. Um, I, I would be actively trying to pursue him and buy him. I think there's an actively open window for guys like Terrace Marshall. Robbie Anderson looks like he's having some problems. You can quickly see those targets kind of shift as Carolina 
Obviously, they're down their big, big, big back in terms of Christian McCaffrey. So they're making, you know, trying to cobble together, you know, an offense and, and you just can't have that. So I'm looking for Terrace Marshall still. Um, I still think that there's an outside chance that there are players that you could still obtain, but I think you guys kind of hit on all of them. So I, I, I would, I'd be remiss to add anything to it except that, you know, Terrace Marshall, Paul, I think what you said with Amon Ross St. Brown is, is right on target. That window for him to, you know, pop and be the guy is there. Um, I also think there's a, you know, I, I don't think there's a big window, but I still think Rondale Moore could still be had. And I still think there's merit to go get him with AJ Green and Christian Kirk doing magic tricks every week. It might seem as if Rondale Moore is not in the cards anymore as the guy. I still believe he is. I still think somebody, one of those two, if not both of them, may not be there, you know, coming, you know, into the next following year. Um, I think Rondale Moore is going to be there. So there's another player that I think we're all excited about. We know about uh, Elijah Moore. Another wide receiver. Just what's going on, New York, right? What's going on, Jets? I still think Elijah Moore has the game to be an NFL player. I'm not sure why he's being underutilized. Um, I know there's a lot of things to address there in New York, but I still think Elijah Moore is another player I'd be going after. Um, and that's and that's really kind of that's really kind of it. I think the wide receiver show most of the guys that we wanted to hit are hitting. And Paul, I'm gonna I'm gonna play I'm gonna play Philadelphia for a moment. Ready, uh, Mr. Perkeese? We would not take Kadarius Tony over mm-hmm. our current player, Devonta Smith. And the reason why has nothing to do with talent. I think it's because they don't match well with their quarterbacks. I don't know if Kadarius Tony and Jalen and Jalen Hurts occupy the same world in a way that would be functional. Um, but I think it could. It depends on your coordinator. So I, I, I would say rem, I'd be remiss to think that they would. I think Jalen Waddle for sure, they might change their mind. But then they might argue too is our guy. That's his guy. You know, there's there's stories about you know they had they were roommates at one point. They're just really great guys. They both have tattoos that have their names on each other's back. I mean, like like you know, like who knows? It could be that something like they want to be you know on the same team, but. I do think I do think that Kadarius Tony would challenge both of those teams to think twice. I don't know if Eagles would go for it, but I, I definitely can see Miami considering it for sure. Yeah, and listen, I think those teams are so interesting because here's a here's a little you know hot take. I'm not sure either of those quarterbacks are the quarterbacks for their franchises for much longer. <laughs> That's just like, lunacy. Like I, I Tua don't is think, the man. I don't, I don't okay? think I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to be the quarterback. I'll, I'll say that's with definitive definitiveness in my opinion. One of those guys is not going to be the starting quarterback next year for their team. Deshaun Watson is going to be the starting quarterback for one of those two football teams next year, and I think there's a greater chance it's Philadelphia because I don't think they're all in on Jalen Hurts. I, I think, and even even Miami, I don't think I don't think Miami's all in on, on Tua either. So I think those two teams both want Watson. They both have the ammunition to go get Watson. I think one of them will get Watson. The other question is then: Does the other team? stay with what's there or do they look to upgrade elsewhere? I think if it's Philadelphia, they look to upgrade elsewhere. If it's Miami, they probably give to a, you know, all of next year before they start to make a, a decision on him. But I mean, Miami's tanking bad this year. I mean, Philadelphia's a smart time. Philadelphia. Yeah, yes, gotta yeah. Give it, gotta give it a little bit more of a Tua. Yeah. 
I, I, yeah, I only think they move it's on because he's a lefty. Right. By the way, it's because he's a lefty. <laughs> they just don't like left-handed people. That's all I'm I mean. I only think they move on from Tua if they can get Deshaun Watson, and they just been the name that you've heard connected to Deshaun Watson for the longest time. But I mean, Philadelphia is going to be staring at three top ten picks, possibly. I mean, so they're going to have all the ammunition in the world because you know at some point the Colts just got to sit down Carson Wentz so they don't hand over another first round pick to Philadelphia um, in that you know, bad trade that uh, the Colts made. So let's take this over to the dynasty fantasy uh, report for this week. And we're going to, we're going to keep this to two positions this week. We, we touched upon the quarterbacks a lot last week. We've talked a lot wide receivers uh, in general, and it's the tight end position. Cause I think there's a couple things that got to be talked about. One is, when Jeff and I did our dynasty rankings, we talked so much about how hard it was to rank the top four, right? Do we go with the old guard and Travis Kelsey? Do we put the young guard, you know, the young pup and Kyle Pitts? Do we go the ones that are kind of like in between and Darren Waller or, or Kittle? And, and now I think the question's got to be is I think Mark Andrews is now going back to what we said before with the emergence of the Baltimore pass offense, with the next step that Lamar Jackson has take. I think the conversation has to be, has Mark Andrews now jumped into that mix? And I think there's a real conversation that Mark Andrews could theoretically or potentially, again, maybe not if you're literally contending for the title this year, but I think the conversation could be had that he might be higher than, than, than Travis Kelsey because of the age. And I think, I think now you can make a legitimate case that I don't know if George Kittle should be ahead of Mark Andrews in dynasty rankings. I, I think George Kittle is the most complete tight end in football, but I think because of that, he's always going to have an integral role in terms of his blocking. He plays as physical as any tight end we've maybe ever seen in our lifetime, not named Rob Gronkowski in terms of a guy who's also an impact receiver. And it is wearing him down. He is constantly injured or at least on the injury report. And I'm wondering if, if Mark Andrews should maybe catapult over him. I think that's a legitimate question. And then finally, there's not two tight ends in Philadelphia. Dallas Goddard will finally get an opportunity to be unleashed uh, now with the Zach Urge trade out of Arizona. So, Jeff, let me bring you in there. Thoughts on that? those questions of the tight ends? And you're really challenging my 49er fandom, aren't you? <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to really think that um, I can predict injuries well. It, it, those those are frustrating to me. They're, they're by windows. You know, as a talent, I'm still going with Kittle. He's, I, I think he's still the focal point of that offense. I know Baltimore's riding a hot streak. And I, I do think there's legitimacy behind that with, and I do think Lamar's a good passer. Um, and I think there, there's going to be some, 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 some metrics that are showing trending up for Andrews this year over previous years, but he still played half of the snaps last, last week. You know, that's, that's not the same level of involvement Kittle is in his offense. Um, so for me, I, I just don't see putting him up there yet. And it's, it's mostly because I think we'll see streaky games from Andrews. And I think we're, you haven't seen it yet from, from Kittle, but his last game had 11 targets. I mean, that that's a level of involvement in an offense that you see with Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey, like Darren Waller has had five straight down weeks. Does that mean he doesn't deserve to be kind of 
considered one of the top three tight ends. Like, no, that's that, that just kind of happens to over the course of the season. So for me, I won't be putting Andrews in, in that top tier of tight ends. I, I mean, he's, he's probably seeing how Detroit's going. He's probably going to flip with Hawkinson. You know, he's probably going to be the, the, the guy instead of Hawkinson knocking on the door, you know, kind of pits is sort of halfway there. You know, Andrews will be that guy. Um, but also, you know, I, I'm really happy you added that last name who, who's now entering into that tier. I have waited years, years to mm-hmm. see Dallas Goddard get, get, get a shot to be, to be that guy. And, and every time he has, he's been phenomenal. I mean, he's not going to be a Waller or Andrews level athlete running out there. But I, I mean, I think the argument can be made. Would you rather have Dallas Goddard or TJ Hawkinson? I, I mean, that's the level of focal point he can be for that offense. And it's always been Ertz hanging out there. And, you know, when Ertz didn't get traded this off season, like we were all promised, like he was promised, you know, I thought I'd have to wait another year and, and, However, it worked out. It it wasn't an off season trade. It was one here, and hopefully, he gets Ertz gets to be happy, go chase a ring with Arizona, and Goder gets to be the focal point, the, the safety blanket. And you know, maybe it's Hertz, maybe it's Malik Willis, maybe Corral, maybe Deshaun Watson. Um, but but he's he's going to be a pretty big player for Philadelphia. And and I guess this means an extension's probably coming. So, yeah, I think I think that I'm excited to finally see him unleashed. I would assume he's in their long term plans for sure. Matt, let me bring it over to you, and I want to talk some running back stuff because I do think there's a couple interesting things. One, it's nice to see. I think stock is up big time on DeAndre Swift. He is finally. Util, being utilized in the role very comparable to Alvin Kamara in terms of, and that's always what we said he should have been. From from when we scouted him and watched him at Georgia, we said he's a guy who should be utilized just like Alvin Kamara was being utilized. And he's finally taking that where he should be getting, you know, nine to 12 carries a week, but then just being peppered with targets all game, every game as an integral part of the passing offense. So his stock is up. Second thing, I am I would love to have a uh, hear some takes on who's who's going to be the number one running back going into the offseason because do we just keep putting Christian McCaffrey there because his body keeps breaking down and do we just ignore that because when he's on the football field he's so great should it be Dalvin Cook we could say the same thing about body breaking down with Saquon Barkley, so I don't think it's Saquon Barkley. So who who should be in that mix if it's not, you know, um, you know, Christian McCaffrey? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe it should be Dalvin Cook because they just feed him when he's there. He's got some. He's been nicked up at times too, and that's why we've seen Alexander Madison a little bit over the years. Uh, and then the other thing is is at this point, do we just stop? thinking about when Derrick Henry is going to regress and just say, you know what? 
Maybe he's the next Adrian Peterson or Marshawn Lynch, and he's going to be a running back that lasts, even with a heavy workload, into his 30s. And let's stop pushing him down dynasty rankings. Let's stop pushing him down any type of rankings because he's not showed any signs yet of being different than what he was three years ago or four years ago. None of it. He's the same player. He still has the same juice when he gets to the second level. He's still at times slow to hit the hole, but if he gets through that hole, it's over. It's over. He, he, he enjoys heavy workloads. He's a, he's a beast to to that. It's one of those things where I think we just, we just kind of say, let's stop trying to be a year too early or, or, or make it perfect of when we get out on the Derrick Henry bandwagon. And maybe we should just say, you know what? At some point, we're probably going to be a year too late, but that's okay. Well, I mean, it's funny you said Derrick Henry. He was going to be my number one dynasty running back. That's who I would have chosen. Yeah, so, and, and I, and, I would have. And, I was and about it to. Would be you know? crazy. It, uh, it, the thought of that for dynasty would be lunacy. But what do we say? What do we say about the running back position? You can't go out more than two or three years, right? Three years ago, Todd Gurley was the best running back in dynasty. Where's that? Where's that have us now, right? So maybe we should stop trying to predict long term. Derrick Henry doesn't get hurt. I mean, he probably tears his ACL this week. God, hope not. But like, I mean, I'm sitting here saying like, he, he doesn't get hurt. Like, this, guy, this guy doesn't miss games. And all he does is carry 25, 30 times a game. And he, he single-handedly carried that team to a victory last night. Like single-handedly carried that team to a victory. Yes, the defense came up with one big stop. But I mean, he, serious, he just willed that team to a win in the second half yesterday. And I, I think he should be in the mix. And he was in nobody. He wasn't in my mix. He wasn't even in my top 10 when I first did my dynasty rankings. And I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to adjust it because he needs to be higher. Okay. He needs to be much higher in my own personal rankings. And if you look around the industry, you don't see him in a lot of people's top fives. You just don't. And he needs to be higher in rankings because he's no, he's not showing any signs of slowing down. He doesn't get hurt. He's the focal point of that offense. So he's just an anomaly. He's a true outlier right now. Uh, but see, like, let me ask you a question. That's, that's kind of phenomenally interesting to me, right? So, I mean, I get it. Derrick Henry's not in the top five, but he seems to be pretty much in the top 10. Right. I mean, he's 27 years old. I understand that that's not exactly where you want to live because of what we talk about in terms of the running back position. But you made an astute point about no more than two to three years out. I'm fairly certain he's going to to live in that world of being an anomaly that plays into his 30s. And that's and that's great. I, I, I think if you look at the 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 backs that would be in consideration, at least for me, I look at the list in my mind, I think. You got to consider DeAndre Swift. I think you still got to consider Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor, and you got to consider Dalvin Cook. But Derrick Henry, right now, in the two year window, push comes to shove, I'm probably leaning on Derrick Henry because I think I can get volume, which is, we know, the cheat code for everything that is fantasy is volume. He's getting the volume. The guys that we just mentioned are now getting the volume, right? Including Swift, Taylor, of course. I, I, I think that Derrick Henry probably would be, again, maybe I'm being a little bit knee-jerk reaction and saying top, but I, I don't think there's any reason he's out of anybody's top five. I mean, McCaffrey, Kamara. Kamara, we got to start seeing the, the writing on the wall. What's going on? What's going to go on in, in New Orleans? I mean, what's going to happen? 
Kamara is an amazing talent who could get a second contract and play into his 30s as well and actually play um, uh, you know, second fiddle and be a backup back and still be very productive for a, a team for uh, well over a number more years. McCaffrey's only 25, right? But I, I do think that Derrick Henry, I think the top 10 running backs that you would think in Dynasty right now include the Derrick Henrys, DeAndre Swifts, Jonathan Taylors. Those guys have to be, and Nick Chubb, I think those guys have to be, your your short list of one through eight have to be among them. I can't imagine those guys not being in your top eight. I mean, I, I, I would add some names, though, there. I think Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones, Najee Harris. So I think there's a couple other guys that got to be in that mix uh, that might have a little bit more longevity because of their pass-catching capabilities. Uh, but but I do think, you know, like there has to be, you know, like I know personally on my own ranks, I had Antonio Gibson in my top eight or nine before the season started. And now he's, he's moved all the way down to 14. Like I can't have him. Like I can't, I can't, I can't put him ahead of guys like Ezekiel Elliott, who's kind of had a renaissance this year. I can't put him over, you know, what, some of these other guys. What about Aaron Jones though? Like let's talk about Aaron Jones though, with AJ Dillon on his heels. I mean, yeah. But I'm concerned I, about that. I, I'm concerned a little bit, but I still look at Aaron Jones very much like in eighty percent, ninety percent of Alvin Kamara. Like I don't think yes, he needs, yes, yes. I don't think he needs to be. I don't think AJ Dillon impacts him too much as long as he's still being utilized a lot around the goal line, which Alvin Kamara always was. And if if Aaron Jones is still utilized a lot there, but yes, you can make the case that Aaron Jones. If AJ Dillon is emerging, should he be moving down a little bit too? And I think it's a legitimate question as well. Uh, but I, I, I think the the running back group is, is strong still at the top, the top 12, 14, even 15. I think the top 14, 13 is really I agree. solid. But it, wait a second. But, it, Jeff's right, though. He just wrote down a really good point. We're really forgetting who really should be the top back in Dynasty, and that's Bijan <laughs> Robinson. Very, well, he's very, coming. Very, he's coming. He's well, coming. We're, we're going to have to be patient wait. for him. But, um, I think you guys made made the point real clear. Like, don't give up on these guys just because they're a little bit older. If they're producing elite numbers, then just, it's a no-brainer, right? It, I think it comes – it's a much – I have one team where I had to make some tough decisions, and um, it's just – it doesn't seem like it's going to come together for me this year, and I have to think, what am I going to do for the future? And who do I who do I go? And and it may, might not be the top RB one, but I, you know I I made a move to go get Javante Williams because I think Javante Williams is going to skyrocket, you know, and maybe be you know a top twelve kind of running back in 2022, 2023. You know, if I'm not going to do it this year and maybe not next year, you know, yeah, you got to think in those two, three year windows for running backs. But if you're not going to be a contending team in that window, you know, maybe you just invest in wide receivers, but um, that's a hard position to fill. You know, yeah, go get Bijan Robinson when you can. But, you know, I think, I think it's just, it's one of those ones where don't fade, don't fade productive guys, you know, who are scoring points for your fantasy team, you know, that they're valuable. But, you know, it, it is a really interesting question because there is a there's a changing coming and it, it might not happen next year. It might still be Derrick Henry for a little while. We might still see Christian McCaffrey hanging around there, but we're going to have some young talent 
And I just don't know exactly who it'll be. Yeah, I, I think I think you know, I think the running back position is where we gotta be really careful. And 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 this is how I will adjust and approach, you know, doing my dynasty rankings moving forward, especially the running back position, because this is the first time that, you know, we really put out rankings like this and it's a learning experience and, and you learn to, you know, maybe not overreact to age or overreact to, you know, trying to predict you know, who's the breakout guy. And I think the running back position is where I personally got to be a little bit more willing to just say, you know what, let's look in a really small window. And maybe we don't even go out three years. Maybe we go one to two years and we just live that way for right now because things change too quickly and too fast at the running back position. And if a guy's still performing at a high level, then just have him high. Just have them high. And I think we're seeing that, you know, right now with Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott having a monster, you know, bounce back year, even as Tony Pollard has developed into a really good player in his own right. Uh, and that's why I do think Aaron Jones can be fine, even with A.J. Dillon emerging as well. But, you know, I think we're seeing these guys that, you know, don't think too far out at the running back position. Don't try to find the next top 10 guy. Just enjoy the guys that are currently in the top 10 and, and, and adjust once they're no longer worthy of that, uh, rather than, than trying uh, to guess. I know I've, I've been excited to see Joe Mixon finally start to live up to what I've been waiting years for in terms of his on field potential. And as Joe Burrow and that offense continues to get better and better. And if they could ever even get average O-line play, I think you're going to see that offense really become an explosive uh, offense and, and, you know, maybe the heights of all those guys even continue to rise up. So there it is, guys, the Dynasty Fantasy Report for this week. Hopefully you enjoyed all four segments tonight. We went for the NFL Draft Report, the Debbie Slant Report, the NFL Rookie Report, and the Dynasty Fantasy Report. Uh, please, if you enjoy what we're talking about here, if you enjoy what we put out on Twitter, uh, please get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Uh, check out our premium content tab there. For $9.99, you get access to all three of our premium notebooks. So much great content. All the rankings we're talking about, all our scouting reports, uh, all can be had for $9.99. It is the best way to support the show. Uh, Matt, any quick parting thoughts before I close it out? Donovan Peoples-Jones. I'm done. <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's Matt's guy. Go buy and, him. And Brian Edwards. And Brian Edwards. Go get him. It's Something's going to happen eventually. We're just. I'm going to hold on to him until it does. And when it does, I will say it on air. And then the next day, nothing will happen. But at least it'll happen once. I promise. And listen. I get him before that game. <laughs> and listen. I think it's either now or in the offseason, you see OBJ traded. So the time is now to get Donovan Peoples-Jones because I don't think OBJ is is, is going to be in Cleveland much longer, whether he's traded during the season, whether they they find a taker for him in the offseason. They're not giving him a contract extension. They're not giving him another contract. I just don't think he wants to be there. I don't think it's working out. I don't think him and Baker have a good on-field chemistry. Uh, Jarvis Landry could be a, a, a you know, still there for a while, potentially, but he's a different, very different style player than Donovan Peoples-Jones. So I think the the time is now if you want to buy Donovan Peoples-Jones, because if, if they trade OBJ tomorrow or they trade OBJ in the offseason, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be a very, you know, hot, hot item uh, in dynasty circles. Jeff, any closing thoughts? 
No, we've we've had a lot of. I'll I'll, I'll hit you guys up next week. All right. <laughs> so, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt, and our sound tech engineer David Nicano, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.